Um, all right, so let's do this. Let's do this, guys. If you're here for the first time, man, I just knocked out so much time. All right, so um, I, I want to engage with you. If you are here for the first time, this is the read and rant. And the whole intention of our time um, in the read and rant is that we would come together in the reading of the word of God. I want to see every believer say that they've read through the entire Bible for every believer to say that they've read through the entire word. And so that's what we're doing. We're reading through the entire Bible, um, 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes at a time. Um, every weekday we've been reading, we read through the whole new Testament. Now we're reading through the entire old Testament. And I call it the read and rant because after the reading, I spend whatever time I'm afforded to, um, to rant, to just engage in whatever the Lord is speaking concerning the scripture concerning this moment in this day. Um, and so I'm not afforded as much time. I know I kind of, you know, um, took took some of that away, just, uh, you know, getting ready to get going. Uh, but I do want to take this time to just read and focus on the reading of the word. And I'll share just a thought with you. So as you read this, I want you to read this prayerfully. I want you to read this prayerfully. And I want you to ask three questions. What is the Lord revealing concerning himself? What is the Lord revealing concerning himself? The second question is, what is the Lord revealing concerning people? What is the Lord revealing concerning people? And then the third question is, is what is the Lord revealing concerning me? Now you're going to ask that for you. What is the Lord revealing concerning you? And so that's what we're going to engage in. We're going to engage in this time together to ask those three things. Okay. And, and I believe that when you do that, you're posturing yourself to be able to um, receive from God more than just intellectual information, but spiritual transmission. And so that's what we're going to engage in. So I'm going to pray and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you for allowing us, Lord, the privilege of entering into your presence, Lord. Lord, as we come before you, Lord, we come submitting ourselves to you, submitting our hearts, our mind, our soul to you, that you would reveal to us, Lord, the beauty of your word, that you would reveal to us the richness and the beauty of who you are. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, draw us nearer to you in this time as we spend it in your word. Convict us where we need conviction. Correct us where we need correction. Lead us, Lord, to righteousness. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Exodus 38. Let's get going. Verse 1. He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length, five cubits its width, it was squared. And its height was three cubits. He made its horns on its four corners. The horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with bronze. He made all the utensils for the altar, the pans, the shovels, the basins, the forks, and the fire pans. All its utensils he made of bronze. He made a grate of bronze network for the altar. Under its rim, midway through the bottom, he cast four rings for the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. Then he put the poles into the rings on the sides of the altar with which to bear it, and he made the altar hollow with boards. He made a laver of bronze and a base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving of women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Verse nine, then he made the court on the south side. The hangings of the court were of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long. There were 20 pillars for them and 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. On the north side of 
uh, sorry, on the north side, the hangings were 100 cubits long with 20 pillars and their 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. On the west side, there were hangings of 50 cubits with 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. From the east side, the hangings of 50 cubits. The hangings of one side of the gate were 15 cubits long with their three pillars and their three sockets and the same for the other side of the court gate on this side and that were hangings of 15 cubits with three pillars and their three sockets. All the hangings of the court all around were a fine woven linen. The sockets of the pillars, sorry, the sockets for the pillars were bronze. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver and the overlay of their capitals was silver. And all the pillars of the court had bands of silver. The screen for the gate of the court was woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and of fine woven linen. The length was 20 cubits. The height along its width was five cubits corresponding to the hangings of the court. And there were four pillars with their four sockets of bronze. The hooks were silver and the overlay of their capitals and their bands was silver. All the pegs of the tabernacle and of the court all around were bronze. This is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, which was counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer, a weaver of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine linen, all the gold that was used in all the work of the holy place, that is, the gold of offering, was twenty-nine talents, and seven hundred and thirty shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary." And the silver from those who were numbered of the congregation were 100 talents and 1,775 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A becca for each man, that is half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary for everyone included in the numbering from 20 years old and above for 603,550 men. And from the hundred talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil, one hundred sockets for the one hundred, sorry, for the hundred talents, one talent for each socket. Then from one thousand seven hundred and seventy five shekels, he made hooks for the pillars, overlaid their capitals and made bands for them. The offering of bronze was seventy talents and two thousand four hundred shekels. And with it, he made the sockets for the doors for the door of the tabernacle of meeting the bronze altar, the bronze grating for it and the utensils for the altar, the sockets for the court all around the bases for the court gate, all the pegs for the tabernacle and all the pegs for the court all around. Of the blue, purple and scarlet thread, they made garments for ministry. Chapter 39. Sorry. Of the blue, purple, and scarlet thread, they made garments for ministry, for ministering in the holy place, and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. Mm. He made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine woven linen, and they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads to work it in with the blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen into artistic designs. They made shoulder straps for it, a couple, for it to couple it together. It was coupled together at its two edges. 
and the intricately woven band of the ephod that was on it was of the same workmanship, woven of gold, purple, blue, and scarlet thread and of fine woven linen, as the Lord had commanded Moses. And they set onyx stones and closed in set in insettings of gold. They were engraved as signets of the engraved with the names of the sons of Israel. He put them on the shoulders of the ephod as a memorial to the stones for the sons of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses. And he made a breastplate artistically woven like the workmanship of the ephod of gold, purple, silver, and scarlet thread and of fine woven linen. They made the breastplate square by doubling it. A pan was its length and a pan its width when it doubled. And when they set it on four rows of stones, a row with sardius, a topaz, and an emerald with the first row, the second row a turquoise, a sapphire, and a diamond, the third row a jacinth, an agite, and an amethyst, the fourth row a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. And they were enclosed in settings of gold in their mountings. There were twelve stones according to the names of the sons of Israel, according to their names engraved like a signet, each one with its own name according to the twelve tribes. And they made chains for the breastplate at the ends. Like braided cords of pure gold, they also made two settings of gold and two gold rings and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And they put the two braided chains of gold in the two rings on the ends of the breastplate. The two ends of the two braided cords were then fastened in the two settings. They made two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it, which was on the inward side of the ephod. And they made two other gold rings and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod, underneath the ephod toward its front, right at, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. And they bound the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod with a blue cord so that it would be above the intricately woven band of the ephod and that the breastplate would come loose from the ephod as the Lord commanded Moses. He made the robe of the ephod of woven work, all of blue. And there was an opening in the middle of the robe, like the opening of a coat of mail with the woven binding all around the opening so that it would not tear. They made the hem of the garment hmm, of robe pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet and of fine woven linen. And they made bells of pure gold and put the bells between the pomegranates on the hem of the robe all around between the pomegranates, a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate all around them of the robe to minister in as the Lord commanded Moses. He made tunics intricately woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons, a turban of fine linen, exquisite hats of fine linen, short trousers of fine woven linen, a sash of fine woven linen with blue, purple, and scarlet thread made by a weaver as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription saying, like the engraving of the signet, holiness to the Lord. Mm. Holiness to the Lord. And they tied it to the blue cord and fastened it above on the turban as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus, all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished. 
And the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. And they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its claps, its boards, its bars, its pillars and its sockets. The covering of ram skins dyed red and the covering of badger skins and the veil of the covering, the ark of the testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table, all its utensils and the showbread, the pure gold lampstand with its lamps, the lamps set in order, all its utensils and the oil for the light, the gold altar, the anointing oil and the sweet incense, the screen for the tabernacle door, the bronze altar, its gate of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the laver with its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its sockets, the screen for the court gate, its cords and its pegs, all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle for the tent meeting, and the garments of ministry to minister in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and his son's garments to minister as priests according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it, as the Lord commanded. Just so they had done it, and Moses blessed them. And Moses blessed them. Hmm. Last chapter. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put it in, uh, you shall put in it the ark of testimony and partition off the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are set in order on it. And you shall bring it. You shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. You shall set the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and you shall set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. You shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen on the court gate, and you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, and you shall hallow it and all its utensils, and it shall be holy." You shall anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar. <laughs> the altar shall be most holy. You shall anoint the laver and its base and consecrate it. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as a priest. <laughs> there it is. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father, that they minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout the generations. Thus Moses did. According to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up. So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put in it its bars, 
and raised up its pillars. He spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony and put it into the ark and inserted the poles through the rings of the ark to put the mercy seat on top of the ark. He brought the ark into the tabernacle, hung the veil, <clears throat> hung the veil of the covering and partitioned off the ark of the testimony. He put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. And he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table on the south side of the tabernacle. He lit the lamps before the Lord. As the Lord commanded Moses, he put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil and he burned sweet incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He hung up the screen at the door of the tabernacle and he put the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered upon it the burnt offering and the grain offering. As the Lord commanded Moses, he set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water there for washing. And Moses, Aaron, and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it whenever they went into the tabernacle of meeting. And when they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. <laughs> then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of God filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up <laughs> for the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day and fire was over it by night in the sight of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Wow. 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 I'm so encouraged by that, Tiffany. I'm looking forward to seeing that transformation in him. Um, you know, I have a class later, so I in in a few, and so I'd not afforded a lot of a significant amount of time to unpack all of this. I want to leave you with with a thought. I want to leave you here with a thought and I want you to ruminate over this throughout the day today. First of all, congratulations for those of you who've been journeying with us. We now have finished reading the book of Exodus. We have read Exodus. Tomorrow we start Leviticus. We're just walking down the Bible. We're going on a journey together and I'm praying and I believe it's happening already 
that for many of you now who've actually who are reading these books in their totalities, that you're beginning to see the Bible in a different light. That when now that now that you are reading the Bible as a full body of work rather than, you know, little verses here and there with all these little instructions and, you know, things that we ought to do and not not to do and little stories here and there that now you're beginning to see a cohesive narrative that you're beginning to see everything coalesce into um, a profound conclusion. You're beginning to see a, a conclusion that's beginning to form. But before that conclusion, there's a tension that we see that's developing here. Like I, I, I'm praying and I'm encouraged by that, Shannon, that now as you're reading through the entire Bible, you're beginning to see and understand the scripture in a different light, but also that you're beginning to learn what it looks like to posture yourself prayerfully in the reading of scripture and to hear what God has to say in that moment concerning you. That's my, that's my prayer. That's always been my prayer. And I believe that's what's happening because as you do that, it empowers you. Hey, oh, whoa, I'm glad you're here, man. I'm glad you're here. That's perfectly fine. So glad you're here, bro. Um, so so to, to kind of give a little prefix before um, before we get into what I want to share with you is, is for those of you who have grown up in church, you've been taught to read the Bible this way, or you've been taught this is what it means to be a Christian, or these are what Christians do. This is what faith looks like. This is how you live out faith. These are, these are things that have been conditioned into you, but you never really had the freedom of the gospel because you, you, you never really understood like what, what this was actually saying because it's been misappropriated. It's been mistaught. And, and so I hope you're beginning now to see the story. And if you ever miss, if you miss any reading rants, go back and, and check out the font everywhere on Facebook and you can go back and you can check it. But for now, where we are right now is the story is about man's rule on earth, God ruling the earth through mankind, mankind not operating as the proper ambassadors of God on earth. And for that reason, mankind has been separate from God separate from God's rule. Mankind's rule on earth has been compromised. And because of mankind's rule on earth, there, there's a brokenness, right? There's a brokenness. And so everything that we see that is bad in the world has been rooted out of mankind's separation from God. And now mankind, right, in, in all the cacophony and all the chaos that we see, that now God says, I'm going to reinstitute my rule on earth Okay, I'm going to reinstitute my rule on earth and this rule that I'm going to reinstitute through mankind, I'm going to do it and initiate it and instigate it through a family. It will be through Abraham. Abraham begets Isaac. Isaac begets Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Israel has sons. Those sons move to Egypt. Those sons now become a nation because they stayed there for too long. That nation was under the bondage of the Egyptians. And now they've been liberated from the Egyptians to return back to the land that is theirs to be the people that God called them to be. And so now they have instituted a, a, a covenant with God. And in that covenant with God, what they have committed to is to become a nation of priests to show the world what it looks like to rule God's way. 
So they were a chosen people to show what the kingdom of God looks like. They were a chosen people to show what it looks like for God to rule the earth. What it looks like to be um, um, to be God's imagers on earth. So what they were called to be, and we can go back, remember, we'll go back and read it, read everything that we read up to this point, that the covenant that God made with them as chosen people was to become a nation of priests. And they bought into that. They said, you know what? We'll sign the contract. We'll be the chosen nation that will be the priests, that will be the mediators between God and mankind. We will be the ones to reveal and to image what it looks like to rule God's way. And that's the covenant they made. And so now they instituted um, 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 this law, the Mosaic law that we read here. And so these laws that we see in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, because we're about to read Leviticus next, but the laws that we see were laws that were written to the children of Israel that would separate them and distinguish them from the rest of the world. These laws were not written to us as Gentiles. They were written to the children of Israel. Remember, like I said to you before, a lot of people, when, when they read the, the, the Bible, they read these laws as if these laws were written to Christians. These laws were not written to the Christians. These laws were written to the children of Israel. Okay. I want to make sure we bring this. We, we, I'm, I'm, I want to make sure I bring this all to light. So if some, somebody tries to throw these commandments at you and these laws at you and these things at you, they obviously don't understand the, the purpose of the scripture and they don't, they don't understand what the scripture is. They don't understand it. They're, they're throwing these things at you. And often when they throw these things at you, they do it to propagate power and influence over you. It's not a freedom. It's actually bondage. Um, and there, and there, there are people here. Who, who know what that looks like to grow up in church and feel oppressed by the church that you grew up in. There are a lot of people here who know what that feels like to grow up in, in a context where they say that they believe in God or Jesus or, 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 or that they are the people of God. And because they're the people of God, they ought to do these things. And so, so there's a propagating of influence and power by those who are leaders of the church to press down and to afflict those people. Did you, did you hear that? So there's a, a, um, another government that's being formed and it's a sinful, broken government because it's not God's government that they press on the people that we see today. This is the liberation that I'm trying to help you see. Okay. I'm, I'm helping bring this to light as you read this. This nation of priests, he says to them, he calls them to holiness. This nation of priests, he calls them to be holy. When people hear the word holy, what comes to people's mind is be perfect. I'm going to help you out here. When people think of holiness, they think of perfection. When people think of holiness, they think of goodness. When people think of holiness, they think being holy is to be really good. 
I'm sure somebody who's listening to this right now going, well, they told me that being holy was being good. Being holy was being perfect. Wrong. Holiness does not mean being good. <laughs> um, holiness does not mean that I'm being good or I'm being perfect. To be holy is to be separate. To be holy is to be distinct. To be holy is to be separate from everything else that being holy means that when they see you in the way that you live, in the way that you behave, when they see you, they see that there's something different. That's it. Being holy literally means to be profoundly different, distinct, distinguished. When we say that God is holy, that it does not directly imply that God is perfect. God is perfect. Don't, don't get that wrong. But being holy doesn't mean he's perfect. God is perfect. God is sovereign. God is all those things. But when we say that God is holy, what we're saying is, is we're saying that there's nothing like God. When we say that God is holy, we're saying there's nothing like him. There's nothing comparable to him. There's nothing that you can measure up to him. So God being holy is God being separate. Does anybody understand that? Okay. Is God being separate? So when he says, be holy for I am holy, which we'll read later on in the text, he's not saying be perfect because I'm perfect. <laughs> he's saying be separate because I'm separate. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What he's saying, he's saying, don't be like everybody else. You are different. Okay. And the, the, the word holy literally means to be separate. The Hebrew word for holy literally means separate. In, 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 in no instance did the word holy mean to be perfect. And sometimes we confuse the word holy with sacred. No, the sacred and holy can coincide because if God is holy, the dimension of holiness that God is means that he is perfect, means that he is separate. It means that he's all these things. But to say that he is holy is not to say that he is perfect. Yet he is perfect. I hope this is making sense. I hope I'm not confusing um, any, anybody here. Okay. I want you to understand that because this is my, this might actually get in the way of what um, a lot of people have heard because in holiness movements, what I've learned is particularly speaking in the church, when there's this proper, the, the holiness movement and not a knock, because there's some things that are good in the holiness movement, but there's some things as well in the holiness movement that do not reflect the gospel. In the holiness movement, there's a pressure to be perfect, to look the part, to act the part, to play the role, 
dress up a certain way, um, go to church this many times, speak a certain way, act a certain. So, so there's this pressure on how we look on the exterior. And so what happens is in holiness movements, you propagate when it's not transformation, when it's not transfer, when it's not Holy Spirit transformation, but it's a cultish way of thinking that propagates the way you look and the way you behave and the way you act and what you ought not to wear, what you ought to wear, tattoos or no tattoos, when it's all of that, right? When, 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 when it becomes all of that, then what it propels is a disingenuous culture. What it propels is, is a lack of authenticity. What it propels is a, is a fakeness. What it propels is hypocrisy because you'll say, be holy. That means let's dress up a certain way, but that's okay. If I look good to you, even though behind closed doors, I know I ain't living right. As long as I show up to church and I play the part, well, it doesn't matter if there's darkness in my own heart. As long as I make sure my skirt is two inches below the knee, it doesn't matter if I pull it up and let any guy get in there. And and that's another thing in holiness movement. It's always funny how in the holiness movement, we have we have more rules and regulations for the women than for the men. Like the women have to wear this. Don't wear that. Don't wear this. Don't wear that. No makeup. No, this, no, that, no, this. But the guys you know, we're free to be whatever we are. It's a misogynistic propagation. Holiness movements tend to be misogynistic. Holiness movements tend to propagate male chauvinism. Because again, it's not reflective of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not. I don't know why the Lord is leading me here, but I have to speak into this because there are those who have, who are actually hurt by the holiness movement and hurt by holiness theology, hurt by the things that the church have said that you have to change in order to be accepted into the body of Christ. Things that you have to change on the exterior in order to be, I know this is making people uncomfortable. I get it. It's going to make some people uncomfortable because you may be in a church like that now, or you may have grown up in that context, or there's some people right now who that may, it may be actually awakening some trauma that you have experienced in those movements. Now, are there some good things in those movements? Absolutely there are, but there was a disconnect there. There's a disconnect there. And, and so I had to speak into that because this is my word for you. And I only have like five or six minutes. I'm sorry, because I got to go in a few. If holiness is not perfection, but if holiness is a distinction, make that a tweet or something. If holiness is not perfection, but rather distinction, a new identity, a new being of a person, then when you are holy in Christ, it's about what people see on you, not about what you put on you. And what, let me explain what I mean by that. If it is about distinction, 
It's about what covers you that people see, not about the words that you speak and the way that you propagate it. Let's go back for a second. So we're all on the same page. Remember, the law was written to the children of Israel. The law was written to the children of Israel, not to us, but to the children of Israel. He called them to be a nation of priests, to be distinct from the world. And what he promised was his presence among them. Even though they were imperfect people, they were still holy. (laughs) Even though they were a complaining people, they were still holy. Ooh, man, it's going to get a lot of people upset because they were separate. And yet God continued to command them to say, you need to walk in my perfection because I am holy. It was out of God's perfection that compelled them to be, to live in the holiness of God. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to see how the gospel becomes, comes to, to, to fruition here. But let me make sure we get there. Okay. Damn, I don't have enough time. I'm so sorry, guys. I don't have enough time. We're going to see. By the way, I'm going to work through this as we read through Leviticus, as we read through Numbers. Read through, when you start reading these laws and people go, but Leviticus says we ought to do this and we ought to do that. We ought to do that. It's not written to you. It was written to the children of Israel. Actually, the movement is not holiness. Side note, the movement is righteousness now. <laughs> it's the grace of God not holiness in the things that we do and the way we act or behave. But that's another conversation for another day. We'll get there. I'm ranting, but y'all expect that. Hopefully you get the thought. The children of Israel were called to be a distinct people. And he begins to institute these laws that would make them distinct. Yet they still didn't know what it looked like to be distinct from the world. So among the priests, the nation of priests was a tribe of priests, the Levites. And among the tribe of priests, that's what we're going to read in Leviticus. And among the tribe of priests was the high priests. Okay. Aaron being the high priest. And what we read here in the last chapters of Exodus was the execution the execution of God's law by Moses. But before you saw, you read the execution of God's law of God's commands to build this tabernacle. And he, you know, right, right. He does the inventory of all the items and all that's important for record's sake. Okay. That's why it's there. That's why it's in the Bible for, for recording sake. But there's something that sticks out to me that I want to point out. And then I'm done. I hope this is helpful to you guys. Um, he does the uh, he does the inventory in chapter thirty eight. Then in chapter thirty nine, he talks about the garments of the priesthood. That's where I want to go right now. The garments of the priesthood. The garments. The garments of the priesthood. 
as I was reading it, and this is what I prayerfully do, because I'm praying as I'm reading, because I'm reading it and I'm asking God, what do you, what do you, what do you want me to see here? What do you want me to see? What do you, what are you looking for me to see? Because I got nothing prepared. That's why I ran. It's not coordinated thoughts. It's just me, just, 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 just talking the talk. But this is my process. So stay with me and watch, and you know, attend the process. But I'm reading this, and as I'm reading it, and I'm asking myself the question, what, what are you trying to say, God? Like, what, what are you saying here? What, what are you revealing to me? What are you saying to me here? I've read this before, God. Like, what do you want me to see today? And this is what God is telling me today that he wants me to see. God goes through all this work to make sure that they wear clothing, that the priesthood, watch this, that the priesthood wears clothing of blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Pause. In those days, the color blue was an uncommon color to wear. In those days, the color purple was an uncommon color to wear. In those days, the color scarlet was a color that was uncommon to wear. The colors were generally neutral in color, shades of brown and tan. Only the wealthy got to wear dyed colored clothes. So whenever you saw someone wearing blue or purple or scarlet, immediately you would know that there was something different about that person. Okay. Those who wore colors, like you see, I'm wearing this blue shirt. That was uncommon to wear a color of blue because it was expensive to dye it. Okay. They, they, they wore, you know, generally just, just neutral colored clothes. Okay. And he says, wear these colors of blue, purple, and scarlet because they're colors of royalty, but they're also colors of distinction. And then he says, he tells them that, um, make a breastplate and on that breastplate, put these, 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 these gems. And, and he describes the gems and then they, they put on this turban and then on the turban, they would put this and look at verse 30, stay with me, family. I'm getting to a point. Chapter 39, verse 30. He says, then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord, holiness to the Lord. They would wear blue, purple, and scarlet garb, woven garb. They would wear this, this, this tunic, and then they would have the turban over their head and it would say with a golden plate on top of it that would say holiness to the Lord. And what the Lord was revealing to me is that it's not what we do, how we think, how much we clean ourselves up that makes us holy. The distinction of the priests was not based off of their own personal hygiene or cleanliness. The distinction of the priests was based off of the type of clothing that was given to them that they would put on them. 
in chapter um, 40, verse 13, and then I'm done. He says, you shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him and that he may minister to me as priest. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as you anointed their father, that they may minister to me as priests. For their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood through the generations. He said, put on these garments so that they could minister to me as priests. Stay with me, family. Put on those clothes so that they can be, remember what the priest is, the representative. Put on those clothes so that they can be my representatives to the people. Put on those clothes so that they can be holy and set apart holiness to the Lord. Holiness family is not based off of your internal cleanliness. Holiness is not based off of your character, your education. Holiness is not based off of um, how much Bible you know and how well you've been doing and how often you've been going to church and how good you've been doing with, with, with Bible study and, and you know how long it's been since the last time you had sex with your girlfriend and, and how long it's been since you had sex um, you know, with, the, with your boyfriend and how long it is that you've been away from pornography and how long it is that you've been away from the drugs and how long it is that, that you haven't done these things and, and because you haven't done these things for a certain period of time, then you are acting or living in holiness. Holiness to the Lord was not based off of what was happening within you. Holiness to the Lord was based off of what was put on you because they formed and created the garments. They put the garments on them. And when they put the garments on them, they were declared holy to God to be the representatives of God to the people. And I came to declare to you today with just the two or three minutes that I have, that the holiness that God is calling you to is not based off of how good you do the Christian life. It's not based off of how well you got it together. It's not based off of whether or not, you know, you're doing this thing right. It's based off of your righteousness that is not in your doing, but the righteousness that's based off of what Christ has put on you. Paul said this in the scripture. He said, put on Christ. He's saying you have to dress yourself up with righteousness. It's not about ameliorating yourself. It's not about modifying your behavior. It's not about changing how you act or live. No, it's about putting on the clothing because when you put on the clothing, the uniform itself changes not only how people perceive you, but the uniform itself will change how you live because what God does to you, he does first on the, he, he puts on his righteousness on you. He said, put on Christ. Our righteousness is not based off of our doing or our activity or or our um um faithfulness to reading the Bible and going to church and all that. No, no, no. Our righteousness is based off of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is Christ who lived in perfection. And when we put on Christ, then now people will not see us. They'll see Jesus. Now Jesus is the covering. He's the purple garment. He's the blue garment. He's the scarlet garment that we wear that when people see us and say, there's something different about you. It's not because I'm living 
living right. It's not because I'm living good. It's because I'm covered with Christ. Here's the thing, family. Among the priests, we'll learn later on, wasn't because they were perfect. Actually, we'll see scripture that shows that they were sinners. And yet they were given the permission to put on a turban with a plate that says holiness to the Lord. We have to revisit holiness. We have to revisit righteousness. That the priests were priests based off of the calling of God, not the perfection of their lives. And what this is beginning to show us is the work that God is doing as it climaxes to Jesus Christ. Notice that the law was not for us, but it was intended for us to reveal Christ. And we'll learn later as we read through this law, we're going to learn what it means for Christ to say that he came to fulfill the law. (laughs) He didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. And yet what the law did was not make them holy and righteous. What the law did was reveal their dependency on God to put his righteousness on them. Love you, fam. I got to go. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for your word, Lord, as we have concluded the book of Exodus. Lord, let us be reminded to put you on, to be clothed with you, to not just simply look at how we can alterate our behaviors, modify the way we act, but rather to be covered by your righteousness. That we would be transformed by your gospel. Lord, teach us, Lord, the truth of who you are as we read through the scripture and as we navigate through the next few books, Father, that we would read this law that is written, Lord, in perfection for a people who fell profoundly short of perfection. Encourage us today, Lord to put on the garments of righteousness. And we say that in Jesus' name, amen.